Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. I'm really excited today. Do you know what? Actually, Alina is devastated she can't be here today because it is boaty stuff, but it's Kate Jameson. Hi, how are you? Not bad. Uh, you're moving, aren't you? How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. <laughs> you're nearly at the point where you may have more than one fork to eat with, right? Yeah, well, we've got the one wine glass, so that's the most important thing. <laughs> Naturally. Um, but we want you out and in the new place by Christmas, don't we? Yes, we do, with all my books. <laughs> so all of the books? I mean, yeah, I've got about six suitcases of books plus all the boxes. So it's a, <laughs> my bookcase behind me looks very bare at the moment. It's a very sad state of affairs. Oh, but it just, it's, excuse, aren't you upsizing a bit, which means that you can do more book slutting now? Because you've got yeah, more space. I can, I can spend all my money on books and swords. I mean, Yay. living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. Uh, Alina is very sad she's not here, even though it is boaty stuff, because um, obviously you are her cupcake face-wielding partner in crime, aren't you? <laughs> uh, well, one, I think there were three of us. We were three musketeers of cupcake doom, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think Marcus strangely enjoyed it, which was never seen anyone so turned on by having a cupcake <laughs> smushed into their face. Some people pay good money for that. I mean, this is true. And he is a perv. Right. OK, <clears throat> let's tell everyone why you're here today. You're here today because, and we've been planning to do this for ages, haven't we? And we haven't got around to it. We wanted mm. to do some real life naval hero stuff way back when we did Hornblower. Um, and we decided to do like a bio show about one of your naval heroes. Um, and this is us getting around to it in December. Uh, yeah, so we are going to talk about Edward Pellew, uh, who, of course, is now mostly famous thanks to Hornblower, uh, but actually had a very illustrious naval career. He fought during the American War of Independence, the French Revolutionary War, the Napoleonic Wars. Um, but as well as this, he did so many other things and I think that's what we need to talk about today his time as a frigate captain and his time in the East Indies and there's just so much to talk about I don't know how we're gonna get it all in <laughs> don't either but it's brilliant because I mean, he's the, in a way he's the kind of guy that inspired Hornblower and um, Aubrey and Maturin isn't he and everything yeah absolutely and I mean you can I think he's featured in the C.S. Forrester books obviously for Hornblower um and I think he actually appears a few times as a sort of a minor character in, in the Aubrey Maturin novels as well. So he does pop up in popular culture quite a lot. Um, and it's safe to say that he did inspire a lot of people. 
Yeah. So let's talk about, um, let's just talk about him and get straight on it then. Um, where was he born? Who was he? Where did he come from? Was it inevitable we'd end up in the Navy? What's your name and where did you come from? Uh, so his family were Cornish. Uh, he grew up in Dover, actually, or he was born in Dover. His father was a uh, captain of a Dover packet. Um, and actually, he did have a naval link. His grandfather had been in the Merchant Navy, I think. Uh, and after the death of his father, they all moved back down to Cornwall. Um, he then went off to school uh, got basically kicked out for <laughs> skiving <laughs> off all the time and hanging around with sailors boxing. Then he got sent off to Truro Grammar School, I think, where they thought he might do a little bit better for himself. Uh, got in a fight, uh, was supposed to be flogged, I think, around the head, which seems quite violent. Um, but he managed to avoid that by running away to sea and joining the Navy. Yay! So uh, is he one of these little tiny boy midshipmen that goes in then? Yeah, so he joined, he ran away at 13, I think, and he joined HMS Juno as the purser's servant, which is actually lower than most people would join. They, I think Nelson joined as captain's servant, so slightly higher up, but he didn't really have any connections per se. Um, unlike a lot of other people in the Navy, he joined HMS Juno with basically no money, uh, barely any clothes, and like I said, no real status. And I think Nelson joined the Navy three weeks after Pellew, so they were they were joining around the same sort of time. But Nelson was already slightly higher up the pecking order because of his uncle. Yeah, it's quite rare, isn't it, to go in with no connections whatsoever and actually get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that people like about Pellew so much is because he went in literally at the bottom and learned and taught himself everything he needed. I mean, he's quite well educated, obviously, by the time he was running away to sea. Um, but he worked his way up. He knew his way around a ship better than probably most officers because of this uh, and, and found himself eventually, you know, <laughs> Viscount, Admiral. He had titles from countries all over the world. Uh, Mega rich or in prize money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, you did mention the American Revolution, but what's his first like instance of actual fighting then? So uh, his first voyage, as it were, uh, was actually supposedly to go to the Falkland Islands because the Spanish had tried to seize it. Uh, people like doing that, apparently. Um, <laughs> and then it, he came back, went away to sea again, and it all went a little bit wrong on his next ship. He fell out with the captain. Supposedly, it was something to do with making a joke about the captain's liverboard mistress. Uh, but either way, he got stuck on shore at Marseille and then was packed home on a on a merchant ship. And then, as you say, he went off on HMS Blonde in 1776 uh, and fought as part of the American Revolutionary War. Um, one, of my, one of my favourite stories about this was that supposedly... Um, General Burgoyne, the army commander, came on board mm. and he saw one of the hands up on the top doing a handstand. Um, and obviously that was Pellew. Um, oh, and they, they, <laughs> they became quite good, uh, quite good compatriots, friends, I suppose, on this on this voyage, I believe. That's brilliant. Um, I just He's just a character through and through, isn't he? So uh, <laughs> does he do anything massively big, um, like in terms of actions during the American Revolutionary War? Yeah, so he was on um, the Carlton, which is a tender on Lake um, 
Champlain. I never know how to say that. I've probably slaughtered. It is. It. I, I lived there for like a whole summer. It is like okay. Champlain. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did the summer camp thing. That's what that is up around there. It's the Adirondacks and it's amazing. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful. But uh, yeah, Lake Champlain is epic. Glad I didn't slaughter it. But um, basically, <laughs> he and another midshipman were on this tender. Um, there was a pretty severe fight um both the officers that were above him were wounded and somehow he ended up in command uh and basically saved this ship from huge danger um and then subsequently was immediately appointed to command it uh which was a pretty nice little little um prize i guess and there's a story that he actually hung out on the bowsprit and pulled the jib right round to catch the wind um which is Again, because he, I guess, he'd spent so long on a ship, he knew knew the ropes, as it were. Um, and basically, he got promoted, um, or was promised a promotion anyway, on his return to England by Vice, yeah, Vice Admiral Lord Howe, who was then Commander-in-Chief in North America, um, and also Lord Sandwich, who at the time was First Lord of the Admiralty, I think, um, but yeah, unfortunately, he and his new friend, Lieutenant General Burgoyne, actually ended up being taken prisoner at Saratoga um, before that could happen. And then he eventually got home um, and Lord Sandwich wouldn't let him go to sea because of the terms of his surrender at Saratoga. So he ended up looking after a guard ship and he was very bored. Oh, no, that sounds like a nightmare for him. but he does I mean he gets out of that doesn't he because I mean he goes literally everywhere in his career doesn't he yeah I think you'd be I think if you were to map it out you'd be hard pushed to find a corner of the world he didn't end up going to to be honest Um, yeah which isn't isn't a bad thing um unfortunately I think after he was appointed to the guard ship I can't remember the name of it now my brain's gone to mush but he basically spent a few time on um can't even talk today spent a little bit of time on the pelican um off Brittany, and there was a story about him driving these privateers ashore basically and then he was promoted to post captain which was great um because he's only 25 so he and nelson in that sort of regard respect actually both promoted incredibly fast i think it's more impressive for pelly because he didn't have his uncle sort of Mm. nudge. absolutely um and he so he becomes famous doesn't he for like being a frigate captain so can you tell everyone like Alina who doesn't have a clue why it's more exciting to be on a frigate at this point than it is to be like on the big like three gun deck ship of the line yeah I mean okay I I, I love a ship of the line I think they're yeah. great but I think frigates are really cool um because they just had so many different roles they were so versatile I think the adventures happen on frigates mainly, don't they? The mad adventures. I think that's why things like Hornblower and um, the Patrick O'Brien novels as well figure um, figure frigates quite heavily. Because, you know, you had, excuse me, you had them conducting this kind of reconnaissance missions. You'd have them going in and out of sort of ports, basically spying. Um, they were used on inshore blockade because obviously they could get closer to the coast. They were faster. They were more manoeuvrable. Some of them did join the line of battle for things like coastal um, coastal attacks on forts and things like that. But they were just so versatile. You had them protecting convoys. You had, you know, hunting down your merchant ships and taking prizes, which is obviously why Pelly made himself an absolute fortune. 
Yeah, you, the, the money comes in the frigates, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't remember the exact amount, but I remember someone saying that in today's money, Pelu basically made millions out of this. I don't know how true that is. I have to go and check it, but he did very well for himself. I so. see. Even one of the really late ones is forty to fifty thousand pounds at that time. Yeah, they they made a fortune. I think if you look, you can compare him at this point with other frigate captains. I think you've got. Um, Blackwood or Cochrane, Thomas Cochrane, um, and they were all just making so much money. And there was actually a point later in his career where he ended up in, I think, what's now Malaysia, um, and he was a little bit miffed because it, there were quite a lot of prospects for prize money in the East Indies. Um, he was basically given it because he supported Lord St Vincent, um, and the other person who was kind of his rival for this post um, of commander-in-chief in the East Indies was um, Alexander Cochrane. And William Pitt kind of understood this and so split the East India Command in two, but gave the eastern half to Thomas Truebridge, who um, was at Cape St. Vincent with Nelson. And basically, the, you know, Pelly and Truebridge just fought all the time and quarrelled and <laughs> were basically trying to outdo each other because you know they wanted all of all of this for themselves. Oh, understandably. Um, <laughs> so the net the the big conflict that comes along in his career, then the never ending fun, which is where most of these books sort of revolve around. And not so. I know Patrick O'Brien's moves everywhere, but definitely sort of Hornblower's the French Revolutionary Wars, isn't it? So how does he fare in those? He does quite well, actually. Um, he obviously spent a lot of time prior to that at peace, which was pretty miserable for him. He was on half pay. He did get married. I think he farmed for a little bit. He set up a farm. He went and became a magistrate. And he was doing all sorts of things, I guess, to keep himself busy. And I think even at one point, the, the Russian Navy, yeah, 1793, obviously the revolutionary government declared war on Britain. Pelly was in charge of the nymph. Um, and they took their first French frigate, which was the Cleopatra, I believe. Um, and actually, he did quite well with this one. So on board, as well as obviously taking the ship as prize, he found a French, um, like a code book of all their secret signals, which mm. was obviously exactly what you want to find. And he took it back with him. And he actually ended up being presented to the king and knighted. Uh, and at, in a sort of a more personal I guess act um which kind of ties in with him being a nice I think he was probably quite a nice guy his his crew certainly respected him a lot but he found all of the effects of the captain of the Cleopatra uh and sent all of them off to his widow and made sure that she actually got them which I think is a really nice nice touch oh um yeah and then obviously a little bit later i think 1795 he took command of the indefatigable <laughs> and then we're into hornblower territory slightly yeah um, so let's, it's good. let's talk about that then uh, we were going to talk weren't we about reality versus hornblower yeah i mean i think obviously hornblower is acknowledged to be well i mean it's based on novels it's not entirely accurate um it's accurate in the sense of the sort of missions I suppose that that Pelu is off off doing but I think 
I would have liked to have seen the series go into him as a person more. I think you got little touches of of his character with the sense that he was kind of mentoring Horatia Hornblower and looking out for him and things, which from what I've read is what he was like as a person. He always wanted to know his men. He apparently, when he was in the East Indies, used to actually get all of the ship's punishment books in his fleet and check that nobody was mistreating their crews. Um, so, yeah, I think he was a nice guy. I think Hornblower covers that in a nice kind of way. Um, covers all of his sort of frigate hunting missions, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think I would have liked to have seen a bit more of his kind of seamanship ability. Yeah, I love that glint in the eye that Robert Lindsay gave him. He's quite cheeky, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> But there's, so there's a rumour, rumor, a story um, that supposedly, even into his 40s, Pelly used to race his midshipmen up the mainmast and nobody <laughs> ever beat him. <laughs> I really and want I wish that, that they to be true. I would, I would have absolutely loved to see Robert Lindsay hurling himself up the, uh, up the rigging. <laughs> that would have been quite funny. I would have liked that. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, So what is your favourite moment in his career? Because there is so much, isn't there? What do you you think is the, the most interesting aspect of his career? I don't think I have a moment per se. I think I just love how busy (laughs) how busy he was and how much he got up to so even when he was at peace he was still you know trying to keep himself busy like I said he was farming and all sorts um I think and then he became the MP for Barnstable Mm. at some point at one point in his life as well um he just has so much going on and I just think it's a a shame I guess that obviously Hornblower has made him famous but people only really focus on that period of time when we could have had a biopic of him but it's gone on fictional (laughs) characters hasn't it the budgets have gone on them we would we would all watch it I mean I would watch it um but there's just you know the stuff that he was getting up up to in America and then he went to Canada and he just went to all of these amazing places and the East Indies and um actually in so obviously he wasn't at Trafalgar um, but his brother was uh, Israel Pelu, who's one of Nelson's band of brothers. Um, one of my favourite stories, I guess, would probably be in 1816. So he led this Anglo-Dutch fleet against the Barbary States. 
um, in the bombardment of Algiers, and they actually secured the release of a thousand slaves, Christian slaves, um, and that's what gave him the you know he got made first Viscount Exmouth actually because it was just incredible. That's brilliant. I didn't know that about him. Um, you did mention that he wasn't at Trafalgar. He's sailing off to the East Indies, Indies at the time, isn't he? Yeah, he went out to the East Indies, I think, 1804. I think like 045, he's yeah. in the act of going out there, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Um, and I think before that, he did do a little bit of... Uh, he was spending quite a lot of time in Carinha, Um Again, winding up the French. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just um, like you do. Yeah, he... Well, I mean, that's what everyone did at the time. I think actually there's a there's a interesting story that when it must have been around 1803, yeah, because 1804 he went off to the East Indies. So 1803, um, Nelson actually refused him a command in the Mediterranean fleet and said that he should have his own, uh, which I think was quite quite nice. We've mentioned like that they come in literally at the same time into the Navy. Um, how do their career trajectories match up? How can you compare them? It's difficult, I think, because I think there's this desire for everyone to compare all of these other naval officers to Nelson. But, um, you know, Pelly was doing very different very different things. I mean, he was mm. in command of a ship, but Nelson eventually obviously was in command of an entire fleet uh and i think they both had very similar leadership qualities uh perhaps tell you more on an individual level um i certainly haven't read as much about nelson wanting to know his crews as much as pelu i would say collingwood is very similar to pelu in that regard they both made a big point of knowing the men that they were they were sailing with which i like yeah i really like that about him as well um I have to ask though, so were they friends? Oh, I don't actually know. <laughs> That's a really bad question, isn't it? Yeah, I no, I just, I wonder if they were like, it would be quite cool. I would like to think of them sitting in a tavern somewhere with like a wench on each knee, um, boozing <laughs> together and partying. I think that would be awesome. And I suspect it probably never happened. But is there ev- no, any I mean, evidence to say they were chummy? I'm not sure. I would like, I'd like to think they've they would have obviously come across each other um certainly but i i wouldn't know that they were friends i mean israel pelu nelson uh, nelson's brother edward's brother served under nelson um a, a number of number of points in his career actually but most most specifically trafalgar uh, and actually it's a really fun story that i shared on trafalgar day that villeneuve when they when he surrendered asked who he was surrendering to and uh, actually said no 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 it's uh, it's Pelu and he goes ah Edward Pelu I've surrendered to the great officer and he goes no 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 um, it's Israel Pelu he goes oh his brother there are two of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would be good can you imagine being the other Pelu though in that sandwich between your brother and Nelson you're always yeah. <laughs> gonna have a supporting role aren't you yeah I do feel sorry for him actually because there's a, there's a story of um of when they were younger and he was he was somewhat overlooked I think but he actually went away to see when he was 13 I think by the time um Edward came back from the American Revolutionary War um Israel had run away to sea as well so I think the whole family were were buggering off it's not saying a lot about the parenting is it 
Well, I think, I mean, his father died, and I think his mum left when they were very young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, I, I think they had a quite difficult upbringing, probably. But I think one of the things that I like is that he, like I said, he worked his way up without those kind of, without that patronage and without the assistance that a lot of other officers did have. And that's the one thing that the Navy did well, I think, is that you could work your way up on merit. And it was something that Pellew went on to do with the men on his ship as well. He would always try and promote sailors as much as he could from from the bottom which i think is is important yeah that's something that the um the army completely doesn't have going on isn't it not at that point no although there is um <laughs> there's one story and it's I, I i don't think it's super well known although it's 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 been in the news quite a lot recently which i think needs sharing again about Pellew. um and it it's one of those things where it's not great but it has a good outcome I suppose so Pelly went to the opera in Lisbon mm. um, and was listening to this violinist Joseph Amidi um, who was a slave and then essentially got taken to Lisbon I think by his owner or his master um, and he was given a violin and a teacher and he became really, really good. And then he became the second violinist at the opera in Lisbon and Pellew heard him and it's said that he pressed him. I don't know whether he pressed him or he voluntarily went along. I imagine he probably didn't because he was doing quite well at the opera. Yeah. Um, he took him away because he wanted to, I think, have him play music for the sailors dancing. Um, and he spent four years actually on the Indefatigable playing the violin for the crew. Um, which isn't great, obviously, because you're, you're taking this guy away from his home. But then a few years later, he actually went ashore in Falmouth and he m- married this this Cornish Cornish girl. Um, and he actually then became a music teacher and was teaching all these different students. He formed an orchestra in Truro. Um, he's now commemorated in the cathedral there. Um, and I just think it's a it's a nice little ending, I suppose, although he probably would have preferred to have stayed in in uh, Lisbon and not be dragged away to sea for four years to play the violin for some dancing sailors but it's an interesting story that I don't think that many people know of. Was he being paid to play the violin? Uh, Well I mean he was on the ship's books so I presume he was then paid. Um, I don't know if there are records that exist of how much he was being paid. Um, It's a tough one isn't it? But yeah he... um, He's actually commemorated in the cathedral in Truro now. But it's just one of those kind of extraordinary stories that no one particularly has heard, I think. Yeah, Um, I like it. What's your favourite, because he is full of personality, isn't he? What is your favourite Pelo anecdote? My favourite Pelo anecdote? I think it's got to be the handstand. (laughs) I love love that he was just up doing a handstand on on the top mast. Um, I, like it just a lunatic. Yeah, it just gives me the best mental image ever. I think, um, but yeah, he definitely was a character. I mean, there's the story, like I said, of of uh, him supposedly making a joke about his captain's mistress and being sent away. And I think it was kind of blamed on his friend who was also on the ship at the time. But it's very much thought that Pelly was probably the culprit. <laughs> I wonder if he just like was brutally honest and said she was a pig or something. <laughs> <laughs> like he got done for it. Can you imagine? 
So tell us about the end of his career then, because he goes on, obviously Nelson has sort of the honour of dying in <laughs> battle and is remembered sort of as a, a hero. He doesn't, he survives all of his antics. So where does he end up? Uh, so he went back to England in around 18, 16, 18, 17, I think, after, after his action in Algiers. Um, he was the Port Admiral at Plymouth for a few years, and then he basically was retired from active service. Um, he spoke in the House of Lords quite regularly, and I think it was about 10 years later he became Vice Admiral. And then he bought a house in Tynmouth in Devon and lived there until he died in 1833. There's actually the museum in Tynmouth. I don't know if it's still, obviously, probably not open at the moment, but they used to have quite a lot of little artefacts and things which belonged to him. It's quite quite nice little museum worth a visit oh we love nice little museums like that and they've probably been really suffering this year as well so do go yeah. and check it out if you could go on any of his voyages with him which one would you go on i could go on any of them i think i'd want to go on the indefatigable but just because i'm a massive ship nerd um yeah. and i'm glad alina's not here now because she'll probably get really she'd get really bored but um the thing i like about the indefatigable is that she was actually built as a third rate so she was a 64 gun third rate initially yeah. not a frigate um and by the point that we you know by 1793 1794 um ship design had moved on the third rates were sort of 74 guns so the navy basically decided to take away the upper deck and the guns so she just became a very large 44 gun frigate but she still had all the masts and the sail area of a 64 gun ship so she was just incredibly fast but also mm. I don't want to say bomb-proof, but pretty resilient. I mean, you could fire on her a lot more than any other frigate, um, and she wouldn't take as much damage. Um, She's think, epic, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I just think it's really cool. But um, probably, yeah, I think any any of the time he spent in the French Revolutionary Wars, really. Although there's a there's a story, not so much of when he was out. But when he was in Plymouth for refit on the Indefatigable, um, there was an East Indiaman, the Dutton, I think it was called, that went ashore basically under the Citadel on Plymouth Hope. Mm. Um, and all of these people on board were drowning and it was absolutely appalling. And supposedly Pellew saw what was going on and just kind of clambered on board and took command of the situation, was basically forcing people to lay these lines across to the shore to kind of create a kind of... Um, like a safety line, I suppose. Um, and he ended up getting something like 600 people off of the ship, um, which is incredible, really. It is. And, you know, if I was going to, you know, the old dinner party with the dead people thing, if I was going to pick a, an officer, I reckon I might pick him instead of Nelson to attend, purely because you know. I mean, although it would be fun, Nelson would do nothing but talk about how great Nelson was. Yeah. <laughs> and Pelly would just be there. I reckon he'd, get, he'd have some serious side up going on because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> some sass going on but yeah I think Pelly would be a great dinner party guest um I mean he just did so much that he would have all of the stories and also we've got all those things about him doing handstands and him racing the midshipmen up the rigging and you just know that he would be the one that comes up with all the stupid drunk ideas probably yeah definitely him and Marcus together um lord knows what would happen they would get their own back for cupcake gate <laughs> You would pay. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag gate gate. Yep. It's really difficult to say that. 
I know, I realised as soon as it started coming out of my mouth it was going to be a struggle. Um, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about Pellew and his amazing career. I really wish Alina had been here because we could have strung this out another 10 minutes by talking to her um, about the ratings on the different <laughs> ships because she's just about sus that a submarine is a boat and not a ship. And she has acknowledged that there is a difference between a boat and a ship, which is massive progress. But I feel we do need to get into the rating system next. I think we'll get there. We'll get there. As long as there's not a mutiny on, on the way, we'll get there. Yeah, we just need to chip away at her, basically. <laughs> and she doesn't, if she doesn't realise she's learning boat stuff, she's okay. But that's, Phil that's managed great. to... You just do it in a fun way. <laughs> yeah, Phil managed to drum a bit of it in when we were doing the Little Ships of Dunkirk the other week. I just think as long as you convince... Don't, as long as she doesn't realise she's learning boaty stuff, she's, she's quite docile. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So come and um, promise us you'll come and join us down the pub again soon. Yes, absolutely. Um, my life is slightly less chaotic now. So yes, I will be there. Boom. Join us tomorrow when Kit Chapman will be with us. Uh, it's always a riot when Kit's around and I sat down with him to talk all about mad scientists and he told me some of his favourites in history and it was Japes, so don't miss it. And then in the evening, join us down the pub because we will be talking all about history's greatest building. And again, I haven't told them what that means so whether or not they're going to go for an actual physical building that's amazing or a building because something epic happened inside i can't tell you hopefully they'll be imaginative so don't miss out on that one don't forget that we do exist on patreon as history hack and on patreon as well which is podbean's own version uh, elena and i have had massive fun doing this in 2020 uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living etc if we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload then we will need your help so uh, if you join us on either of those platforms uh, marcus is currently working on some benefits for you so uh there's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.